I'm Ben Forrest. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Welcome to Chordscast. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and today I have Christy DeMarco with me from the Global Dare Foundation. She's going to share a little bit more about the condition that her foundation represents, along with giving some tips and tricks about how to recruit to a registry. Uh, Christy, would you, first off, it's glad I'm glad to have you here with us today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and to pick your brain about the rare disease space. Uh, just for those listening today, could you introduce yourself um, and maybe tell your connection to the rare disease community? Yeah, so thanks, Alyssa. It's uh, really great to be here. So, uh, so as Alyssa said, um, I'm Christy DeMarco, and I'm the president and founder of Global Dare Foundation. Um, I'm also uh, afflicted by a rare disease called Refson disease, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I also work at um, professionally at TD Bank, and uh, I, I head up their global anti-money laundering operations team. So, you know, work on rare disease as, as an additional job upon my full-time job, wow. um, which can be challenging in itself. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, my connection to the rare disease community, you know, in 2000, uh, actually, sorry, in April of 2019, you know, after um, two years of going to 15 or more specialists, you know, having countless diagnostic tests, uh, I was finally diagnosed with Refson's disease through genetic testing, actually. Uh, in those two years, um, I had gone from being an Ironman-level triathlete uh, to walking in constant pain. Yeah, mm -hmm. I started losing my peripheral vision. I lost my sense of smell. It was just really a, a scary time. Uh, I was glad to have a diagnosis. Uh, you know, even even though when you mm -hmm. have a diagnosis, it doesn't mean you have all all your answers. Um, and I did at least know what the disease was after I looked it up because I had never heard of it before. <laughs> and many doctors I've seen um, have never heard of it before. But uh, Refson's disease is a genetic disorder. Uh, it impacts the metabolism of something called tetanic acid, which I also had never heard of before. Um, tetanic acid is actually found in food, uh, and the highest concentration of it is found in red meats, dairy, and some fish. It's, it's interesting because um, only 150 foods have actually been tested for their um, tetanic acid content. It isn't something that you read on a food label. Uh, so, you know, many patients have to um, uh, guess in some aspects, you know, what foods might be safe. Uh, but ultimately, people to, um, to manage the disease, uh, people with disease have to limit their intake of tetanic acid 
you know, and minimize their, their fat burning because they basically accumulated this fatty acid in their fat cells their entire lives, you know, and it's accumulated, accumulated there. So anytime you get sick or, or um, exercise or um, lose weight, um, you, would, you would burn this fatanic acid and it would release into your blood system, exacerbating your symptoms. And the symptoms for the disease are retinitis pigmentosa, which is a, a, a retinal condition that um, causes you used to lose your night vision and your peripheral vision. Um, it has loss of smell, hearing loss, um, you know, neuropathy like balance issues, numbness, uh, ataxia, um, itchy skin, shortened fingers or toes. That's you know, um, and, and there's more symptoms. If we, that, because it's so rare, um, there probably are some additional symptoms we don't even know at this point are common amongst patients. Um, you know, an early diagnosis is really critical because the sooner the people can go on the diet, um, the, the slower it can, you can lose your vision and hearing and lessen other symptoms. So um, early do- diagnosis is key. Wow, Christy, that sounds like a complex condition um, I can't imagine what it would be like to, like you said, go from an Ironman athlete to now, you know, walking in pain, like you stated. Uh, so what really kind of led you to become an advocate? I'm assuming you're being diagnosed with a rare condition, but then you also started a foundation. So what led you to that decision? And then tell me a little bit about the Global Dare Foundation. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I was really, really lucky when I found out I had Refson's disease. I connected with this great group of people um, in a private Facebook group, um, and you know they they taught me more than any any doctor taught me about the disease. Right, I learned all about the diet, you know, and some of the challenges um, living with the disease. Uh, you know, many, you know, have impacted, been impacted for Ruston's disease many more years than me, um, you know, and many of them, even with good compliance with the diet, you know, have um, vision loss, hearing loss, and mobility challenges. Um, I kind of had my, this crystal ball of what my life will, will be like in the years to come, you know. And, you know, and what I learned as I, as I went through, through Dr. Google and, and <laughs> other places, you know, I learned a lot more about um, Urefsum being really a forgotten disease. You know, there had been some great research done in the past, you know, really to understand the disease and, the, you know, establish the diet. Um, you know, how, however, there wasn't any active research um, for better therapies or a cure going on. You know, and, and after everything I learned, I decided I really wanted to take action. You know, I mm-hmm. wanted to change my potential future and make a positive impact for the rest of the people that I had met um, through this Facebook group um, and continue to meet uh, as, as we grow uh, this foundation. You know, so myself and a couple of others within the, within the Facebook group decided to, decided to start Global Dare Foundation. And DARE uh, stands uh, for Defeat Adult Refsum Everywhere. And we mm-hmm. started it about two years ago, actually two years ago, October, um, so to the, October 2019. And uh, Global DARE Foundation um, is a registered nonprofit. You know, um, its uh, mission is to improve the lives of people um, with the disease. Uh, and we've accomplished a lot over the last two years. Um, we're small but mighty, I'd say. Um, and uh, um, 
uh, resilient. Uh, we we have a we we had a, a when we started a five person board made up of primarily um, patients and family members, and and this year we've expanded to a twelve person board um, of director, directors with um, uh, from four different countries, inclusive of patients. We also have a 15-person medical and scientific advisory board. Uh, we rolled out our first ever um, patient registry for Refsum disease uh, on the Sanford Courts platform mm. a year ago. Um, we developed, you know, a series of webinars to increase the education and knowledge of Refsum. We actually developed this country ambassador program so that we could raise awareness around the world. You know, Refsum's a one in a million disease. So um, if we can consolidate our efforts and you know bring the whole patient community around the world together, it'll make a tremendous difference to really understand the disease and uh, move forward uh, more research. We funded our first project uh, in food testing. Uh, since uh, only 150 foods have been tested, we really need to test more foods and get great knowledge into the hands of patients uh, so that they, you know, can know what's safe to eat um, and to keep their levels down and, and, and keep their symptoms low. Um, and we worked with our research team to bring the REFSA mouse model to Johns Hopkins so we can start some translational research. So really excited, you know, about all the work we've, we've done. And now we're, we're doing our strategy and planning for the next three years and, and what type of goals we want to achieve. Wow, my goodness, Christy, you guys really have accomplished a lot in the past two years. I remember when um, meeting you at Global Genes two years ago in the fall right, of 2019. Right. And, you know, it's been yeah. a really great honor to, you know, watch the Global Dare Foundation start and just how, like you said, that you've accomplished so much in two years. I would definitely say you are one of the more motivated people I have met in the rare disease <laughs> community. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. you you did start a registry here at Stanford with the Cords Registry. Why did you start that registry? Well, it's interesting. I... I actually tried to start a registry before I even had a patient organization, but then oh. <laughs> everyone told me, well, you have to have a patient organization to get a patient registry started. And really the reason being was because in my professional career, you know, I've done data and analytics throughout my career at TD Bank and know the value that data can bring um, related to driving insights, um, making decisions. Um, so when I was diagnosed with, with Russian's disease, you know, I started to research how do you get research done towards a cure, you know, and it was clear, you know, a patient registry was incredibly important on that journey. Um, and that's why, you know, my first step was to try to create a patient registry, but there's a lot of, now, now I, you know, after starting a registry, I understand why you really have to have a patient organization to, to help move it forward. You know, you know, a patient registry, you know, um, uh, you know what it'll bring to the Rustam community and to researchers is to to gain a better understanding of Refsum's disease. You know, we think the registry will help us um, develop, you know, treatment guidelines to improve treat treatment and care of patients. I mean, surprisingly enough, you know, when you get diagnosed with a, di with a, a disease, you, you think that there's standard treatment guidelines. Well, in a rare disease, that's not always the case, and you really need to collect more data and real really understand what's working and, you know, um, and to be able to develop those. And so this is, you know, this having this registry will be really important as we create our initial set of guidelines and continue to improve upon them. You know, drive specific research to develop therapies. 
you know, if we want we want researchers to be interested in studying the disease, you know, having a registry is very um, uh, beneficial for researchers uh, to to start that um, those research projects. Uh, you know, provide global dare information. Um, information to help focus our efforts and how can we support our patient community. You know, it'll represent that link between the researchers and the rest of the community. You know, and create interest um, from investors. You know, it, it is a money business out there, right? So mm -hmm. the numbers do matter. So by assembling our patient population, you know, into a registry and showing the numbers that there are actually out there will make a difference. You know, and then when we actually do have research projects underway, it'll help us identify patients for research studies and clinical trials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all really good good points that you have made there. And too, I remember when we created your questionnaire together, you know, you, you did take the time to really carefully think, okay, what is what is the goal of this? Like, why are we doing this? Which really, I think, helped you to facilitate the types of questions and the data to collect with your registry. Um, what So what has the Global Dare Foundation learned so far from collecting data through the CORDS registry? Yeah, um, so we've, we've had our registry up and running for about a year now, as I mentioned, and we have 25 um, people enrolled, which is about 50% of the people um, that we've connected with um, through Global Dare Foundation, which, you know, I always want 100%, right? But <laughs> as I talk to other patient organizations, 50% is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but given our small numbers, right, we want to get as many people enrolled as possible. And... Um, you know, uh, you know, from the data, you know, we've we've learned that, and it's confirmed a couple things for us. Like, we know that it seems to be a long time to diagnosis, and from the data, it's confirming that. Right, what we suspected is actually true. The registry is showing, you know, on average, 19 years from the first symptoms to diagnosis, and up to 40 years. Wow. Amazing, you know. Um, time to diagnosis, but it, it's, it's nice to have the data to back up what we already suspect, right? And then the prevalence of sim symptoms, you know, we, we have also learned a few new things. You know, we, we have seen that 75% of the people with REFSM receive their diagnosis through genetic testing. So it's not, there needs to be more done to, to educate clinicians on how to clinically diagnose REFSM, because I think, you know, um, more patients would be diagnosed earlier if they were would be picked up by a clinician. Um, not that genetic testing isn't becoming more and more prevalent, um, but it'll it'll help us um, get people diagnosed earlier if, if clinicians will will understand the common signs. Um, and then prior literature was showing that 30% of the population had shortened fingers or toes. What we're seeing in our registry data is that actually two-thirds of the people have shortened fingers or toes, which is actually a visible sign of the disease, so a, a much easier thing to pick up in a clinical exam. Um, and then treatment, you know, as part of the registry are also understanding how patients are being treated today. You know, as an example, you know, what doctors do they see, you know, what tests do they have done regularly? Um, this will help, really help us as we, um, you know, build out our treatment guidelines, as I mentioned earlier, because we don't have any published treat treatment guidelines for REFSM as it is today. Um, and we are regularly sharing this data with our REFSM community and our medical and scientific advisory board. And, you know, as I talk to different industry partners and, and others within the community, I'm sharing how, how valuable the information is. 
that sounds like a lot of good things that you have learned so far. Um, just out of curiosity, what are some of the initial symptoms that people with Refsum disease tend to have? Like, what are they going into the doctor for? Yeah, so normally uh, the first sign of the disease is the retinitis pigmentosa. So um, people will start to lose their night vision and their peripheral vision. So the ophthalmologist, the retinal specialist, is usually the first one to see a Refsum patient. But they don't connect all the dots. Um, It's interestingly enough is that many about 80 to 90% of the individuals also have uh, loss of smell or diminished smell. You know, and like as I was saying, two-thirds have the short and fingers or toes. So some of these visible signs, if the ophthalmologist actually caught it when they first diagnosed retinitis, retinitis pigmentosa, that would make a tremendous uh, difference okay. in the quality of life of patients, right? Because if they caught it right at the beginning, you know, they would be able to go on the special diet, which would actually slow their vision, slow, you know, potentially even um, uh, eliminate hearing loss. We, we don't know for sure. Like, obviously, the people are diagnosed much later, as I said, an average of 19 years later. But if they were diagnosed much earlier, they would, they would stop this accumulation of botanic acid um, in their cells and circulating in their blood and would reduce and lessen symptoms. So um, the earlier they're on the diet, um, the, the better quality of life we would see. Um, so mm-hmm. so the, the, those are some of the, the ophthalmologists are, are definitely ones that we're looking to target first, you know, in our um, journey to educate more. And we've done some webinars and things like that um, to help that process, but much, much more to do. So, Christy, can you tell us, you know, what are some of the challenges you face so far recruiting to the registry? Yeah, thanks, uh, Alyssa, for that question, because we, we do have some barriers to enrollment. Uh, you know, the first uh, is privacy concerns. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do recruit globally, and there are concerns that it's a U.S.-based registry um, platform. And then there's also concerns about data privacy, data protection, you know, we try to overcome that uh, by communicating that the Sanford Courts platform is GDPR compliant. Mm-hmm. You know, and that seems to do a good job uh, at uh, um, allaying people's concerns on that. Um, the other one is a language barrier, right? You know, some of our patient population is not English speaking. So, and at Sanford Courts, the platform is currently only in English. And I know you're doing some things to try to overcome some of that. Um, in the meantime, you know, we um, are using our, con- our country ambassador program where we, we have ambassadors uh, through the different countries to help assist in the enrollment to kind of overcome this barrier. And then the other uh, is accessibility. So, you know, the people with Refsum's disease have low vision or no vision, mm-hmm. you know, and currently the Sanford Courts platform is not accessible with tools like JAWS. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so we, we try to offer assistance to the community uh, to assist in completing the registry questions, you know, as they need it. You know, and these challenges aren't unique to Courts, right? I, I evaluated a lot of different platforms, mm-hmm. and they're pres- these challenges are presented on many of them. You know, and the great thing is that you guys are just awesome, right? Everyone at Cords has been extremely helpful in trying to 
having to overcome these barriers, right? You you offer to to walk people through the questions and enter the data, and so you know we wouldn't get that type of service from a lot of the other platforms I I looked at. So you know we're we're doing the best we can to overcome the barriers, uh, and uh, it's been going pretty good. Considering we have about fifty percent of our population in the registry to date as well, so. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that is good to have about 50%. And, you know, I appreciate the kind words, too, that you have about cords. It's always helpful for us, too, to hear, you know, where the roadblocks are with the communities. So we always appreciate when you share that with us. Um, So before we wrap up today, is there any advice to other foundations uh, that are thinking of starting a registry who have recently started a registry? What advice would you give to them? Yeah, so establishing and maintaining a registry is a big undertaking. You know, and you need to put a lot of uh, good focus and attention on every step of the way, you know, to make it successful. You know, everything from choosing the right platform, you know, asking the right questions, you know, how to, how you'll recruit and report on the data, you know, it all needs to be well thought out. So if you think about you know, choosing the platform, you know, uh, that's a really essential piece of the puzzle, right, in in determining what you need out of a platform and where are you at in your journey. You know, we at Global Dare, you know, we spent a lot of time defining what did we need out of a platform. You know, we we needed a full-service registry platform. You know, we we don't have paid staffing. We don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, You heard earlier around some of our barriers around um, having people um, enter that data. You know, and so as we evaluated um, the platforms, we looked for, you know, platforms that had really good expertise to bring to the table, ones that would own the platform and the data security, you know, didn't require dedicated staffing, because as I said, we don't have any staffing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, would require low cost or no cost, because we don't have a lot of money, you know, and we we wanted the patients to own the data. That was really critical to us. Um, And then we needed access to the data, because we have to be able to analyze the data to be able to help recruit researchers, help to understand um, information about what the patients need. You know, and after our extensive review, you know, Sanford Cords turned out to be a perfect fit for us. Mm. Um, and then the next step, you know, is defining your questions, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you choose your platform, and then you've got to spend a lot of time working through the questions. And, you know, we leveraged, there are some really great resources, which you directed us to as well, you know, on the Rare um, Diseases Registry Program at NCATS, right? And we looked, uh, you know, at their resources on how to actually ask the questions, what are the typical responses to those questions, and then we reviewed it with our REFSM community, right, to kind of understand the things they were interested in learning. We also reviewed it with our medical and scientific advisory board um, to understand what type of information they would be interested in collecting. Uh, It was important also to keep the questions really simple and easy Mm -hmm. to understand. We did leave a couple technical questions in, and I got to say, those are the ones that are often left blank. So the the easier and most um, simple to understand is the best. Um, and then, you know, developing a recruitment plan, you know, once your, your registry is up and running, you know, and you've built it out, you need to be able to have a good, good, um, recruitment plan to be able to get folks to register. You know, in hindsight, I didn't give that as much thought, you know, I was like, I built, uh, I'll build it and they will, they will come, you know, and they <laughs> will enter the data in. But, um, I think really you know, explaining to the community how important it is really having a good plan around it. We, you know, I, we do 
about 50% of our population in there, but I would like it to be 100%, right? So um, the more time we can spend um, uh, addressing anyone's concerns or helping them enter information in um, is beneficial. And then, uh, you know, developing a plan on how you're going to use the data. Mm-hmm. You know, another key piece is to, you know, how are you going to share your insights with your community? How are you going to attract researchers with the data and investors? You know, um, Refsum is a really ultra-rare disease, right? And having really great data and being able to do dashboards on it and show it show it to researchers and investors will make a difference, you know. And it'll keep our community actively engaged, you know, and it'll help raise the profile of the disease itself. You know, we share the insights with our medical and scientific advisory board and the patient community at least quarterly. You know, and we've just kind of scratched the surface on this particular piece. I see as we continue to bring more and more uh, patients onto the onto the registry platform, the more insights we'll gain and be able to provide even more benefits out of it. Yeah, that is all great advice, Christy, and I appreciate you taking the time to walk folks through uh, some of the important steps when creating either questions on their questionnaire and, uh, you know, touch on that recruitment piece, too. That was all very valuable information there. Um, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to share more about Refsum and also just to share more about, you know, what it's like to have a patient registry, the things you've learned and you do differently. So I really appreciate you taking the time today to speak with us. Well, thank you, Alyssa. It's been great. Um, you know, patient registries is definitely a topic I'm very passionate about, and it's so very important. You know, and I, I would say anyone listening to this podcast, if, if they want to chat with me about registries or, you know, learn what we're doing or collaborate and share, I'm always welcome mm-hmm. and open to that. Alyssa knows exactly how to get in touch with me, yeah. so feel free to reach out to her and she can connect us. Uh, but uh, but thank you again, Alyssa, and all the great work that um, Sanford Cords has done to put together such a a great um, offering for patient advocacy groups. Yeah, thank you again, Christy. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Chordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chordscast.